0: The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 through 14, and this is the inerrant and infallible word of our Lord. Let's hear God's word. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a lamb be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord. Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians for our New Testament reading. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 66. Well, it's good to be able to be back together in person to uh, worship the Lord. Uh, we missed uh, gathering together last uh, Lord's Day. And so this is really our first uh, Sunday of the, of the new year for us uh, to meet together uh, to worship. And since it is uh, the first Sunday uh, in that sense of the new year, um, I'd like to begin Uh, This morning uh, with a challenge or, if you like, an encouragement uh, for you to consider, uh, and that is that with the new year before us, the the encouragement or challenge is this uh, to commit yourself uh, to grow in your devotion to the church, Uh, specifically to commit yourself to grow in your devotion to attending the worship services of the church, to uh, taking part in the different meetings and activities uh, that we have as a congregation, uh, to to grow in your devotion to uh, knowing, to loving, to serving, to praying for uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ who are parts of our congregation. Now, this is a message that many of us have been actually hearing uh, over the past uh, several months, uh, both the Ladies' Bible Study and the Men's uh, Fellowship uh, either have studied recently or are studying now a book about uh, the church and, are, as Christians, our commitment to the church. Uh, the Ladies' Bible Study is uh, reading a book now by an author by the name of Megan Hill. Uh, the book is called A Place to Belong, Learning to Love the Local Church. And uh, this is what she says in her book. She says, "If." if i have any maturity in the faith any authentic spiritual life any resolve to follow christ any experience of his fullness it is because of the ordinary local church it is because men of god have been given to me as priceless gifts to preach the word of god for the good of my soul it is because the members of the church have prayed for me and because its children have noisily added their praises to mine it is because men and women whom i might not otherwise have met Are committing their lives to helping me become like Christ for four decades now I have worshiped and worked alongside those for whom Christ died and I am absolutely convinced that I am more of a Christian in the church than I ever could be alone and how true that is we are more faithful Christians more Christ-like Christians in the church than we could ever be outside the church As for the men's fellowship, the last book that we read together, uh, a book is a book by Sinclair Ferguson called Devoted to God's Church. And in one part of the book, he writes about how the church is the object of the love and the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ, so much so that Jesus even laid down his life for the church. And then Ferguson says this, if that is true, then it follows that as a disciple of Jesus, I too should love the church. It should become central to my life. It is not simply possible to live a God-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-led life unless my life is also church-centered. And what both of these authors are saying is that involvement in the church, involvement in the local congregation of which you are part, this is not some kind of optional extra for some Christians who have the time. But this is something that is absolutely vital and essential for the spiritual well-being and health of every believer. And this truth of the importance of the church for us as Christians is most powerfully expressed in the image of the church as our spiritual mother. The third century uh, bishop of Carthage, uh, Cyprian, he put it this way. You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. And later, the reformer John Calvin, he amplified that idea. Uh, He wrote in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says this, let us learn even from the simple title mother, how useful, indeed, how necessary it is that we should know her. That is the church. For there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance, until putting off mortal flesh, we become like angels. Now, long before Calvin, long before Cyprian, long before any Christian identified uh, the church as our spiritual mother, There was the prophet Isaiah. And in our passage this morning, Isaiah speaks about the people of God, God's covenant community. He refers to God's people as Zion and Jerusalem. And he pictures this covenant community, community, the people of God, as a mother uh, to those who belong to the Lord. And so Isaiah is saying the same thing here. That the church is our mother And Isaiah says three things about the church as our mother. First, the church as our mother gives us life. Second, the church as our mother nourishes us. And thirdly, the church as our mother comforts us. So first, the church as our mother gives us life. In verse 7, Isaiah describes uh, a most incredible thing. And for you moms who have given birth to children... Uh, you will especially appreciate just how incredible, how unbelievable this thing is that Isaiah describes. And that is he describes a mother giving birth to a baby boy with no labor, with no pain, with no effort at all. Verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Now, how many of you moms uh, had a childbirth experience like that? Um, The answer is... No one, no one has. No mother has ever given birth like this. It's unheard of. And that's why Isaiah goes on to say in verse eight, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? And the answer is no one. No one has ever heard or seen such a thing as this, a baby coming into the world without pain, without labor, without efforts. And the reason for that is because pain and childbirth is one of the curses that God laid upon the human race In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And so ever since then, every child that has come into the world has done so as the result of a literally laborious effort on the part, and painful effort often, on the part of the mother. But now Isaiah is declaring that the Lord is going to do something that is so amazing, so momentous, that it is nothing less than a sign that the Lord is going to remove the curse of sin upon us. And that is, he will cause a mother to give birth painlessly, effortlessly, and even instantaneously. But he's not talking about a mother giving birth to a physical child. Rather, he is talking about the church giving birth to spiritual children and an entire multitude of redeemed people. Look at verse eight. Shall a lamb be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. So Isaiah is talking about a spiritual birth, not of one child, but of many, a multitude of children. And what he is saying here is that, what he is describing here, is a powerful work of the Spirit of God through His people to create or to beget instantaneously, as it were, a redeemed people, a people who love and know and worship the Lord. Now, in this prophecy, Isaiah does not indicate uh, what will be the specific historical event that will be the fulfillment uh, of this vision or this prophecy, but there are multiple fulfillments of it throughout the history of the church. When we look at uh, church history, anytime the Lord works by His sovereign power to bring about new life and a sudden increase to the people of God, this prophecy is being fulfilled. There is a sense in which it was fulfilled even uh, not too long after the days of Isaiah, when the people of Israel were languishing in exile in Babylon. And there in their exile, it seemed as though the very existence of God's covenant people uh, was in jeopardy. But then suddenly, King Cyrus of Persia he issued a decree that the Jews should return to the homeland. And then it was as though the church was given new life, as though the church was born again. Going from languishing and exile in Babylon, the Jews returned to the promised land where there uh, they prospered and increased. But that return from exile uh, that the Jews experienced, this was just a shadowy type of a far more glorious work that God would do for his people once the resurrected and exalted Lord Jesus Christ would pour out his spirit upon the church. And this is what we see in the book of Acts when we read about the day of Pentecost. It's remarkable to uh, consider The day of Pentecost, uh, in the light of the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, we read in the Gospels that in in the book of Acts that after three years of ministry, uh, after three years of a ministry that was filled with amazing uh, works of healing, uh, miracles, a ministry in which Jesus uh, captivated uh, the crowds uh, with his teaching, After three years of his ministry, Jesus had gathered about 120 uh, committed followers, according to the book of Acts. But then on the day of Pentecost, after the resurrected Jesus poured out his spirit upon the church, the apostle Peter, he stands up in Jerusalem, and in one solitary sermon that he delivers, the Lord adds 3,000 souls to the church Isaiah asks, shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? And the answer is yes, by the power of the Spirit of Christ. It will be. And when we, when we survey the history of the church, there have been times of revival when the Holy Spirit worked powerfully through the ministry of the church in order to bring, uh, all of a sudden as it were, multitudes of people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In his commentary on this verse, John Calvin points Uh, to his own time of the Reformation as one example in which we see the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. Uh, John Calvin says this about this verse, he says, in our own times have we not seen the fulfillment of this prophecy? How many children has the church brought forth during the last 30 years in which the gospel has been preached? And so there have been times when the church as a spiritual mother uh, suddenly and seemingly effortlessly has given birth to multitudes and multitudes of redeemed souls. But the final fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah awaits for that day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall return from heaven. When Jesus Christ returns from heaven to the earth uh, with his holy angels in the glory of his Holy Father, he will, by his word, by his command, he will raise up his redeemed people who are resting, their bodies are resting in their graves. And in an instant, the world will be filled with the resurrected and glorified children of God. And not only that, but we saw in our New Testament reading for 1 Corinthians, that on that day when Jesus Christ returns at the trumpet sound, in an instant, those who are living at the time of Christ, who are believers in Christ, will be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye, being, being brought into a glorified state in a moment. And so the day is coming when all the children of Zion will appear instantly in this new creation, glorified, resurrected and holy and ready for an eternity in a new heavens and new earth. And that is when this prophecy will find its greatest fulfillment. And the Lord promises that he will bring that day about by his almighty power. He says in verse nine. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? These are rhetorical questions, and the answer is obviously no. God has the power because he is God, and God has the will, and it is his will, to bring every single one of his beloved children to his and her eternal home with him in glory forever. He will not fail To accomplish the salvation that he has determined in eternity for each one of his people. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, as we sit here this morning, living in 2023 in the United States of America, we are not living in... Uh, the times of the early church in which the spirit of Christ was working powerfully through the church. We are not living in the times of the reformation when, again, God's spirit was powerfully at work through the church. We, We do not see in the same way, in dramatic fashion, the spirit of Christ working through the church to bring about the rebirth and the salvation of multitudes and multitudes of people. Nevertheless, each and every sinner... Who is born again, who is brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is given this new life by that same supernatural, powerful, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart of that sinner. And the Spirit carries out this work of regeneration, of new birth, of salvation. He carries out this miraculous work through the church and in the church. This is where it takes place. Now, primarily, the spirit of God uses the preaching of the gospel. He uses the preaching of the word of God to bring sinners to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to cause that, that miracle of regeneration. But that preaching of God that God uses for salvation. This takes place in the context of the worship and the fellowship of God's people. That is to say in the church. This is where God works his works of salvation. And so if a hospital is the place where babies are born, then the church is the place where souls are reborn. And there is no greater privilege for you and me, then, to be a part of this community where God is actively at work to bring souls to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, souls who otherwise are perishing and lost apart from Christ. And my hope and prayer is that as we, a congregation, a church, as we, by the grace of God, serve and worship the Lord together, as God gives us grace uh, to grow in his love for his word and in our love for one another, as God gives us grace to have his gospel preached and believed upon here at Mount Rose, that as the Lord does this work among us, my prayer is that we will see many Many men and women, many boys and girls brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord works through the ministry of the church to give that rebirth, that regeneration to those whom he has set apart for salvation. And we have to trust that the Lord will do this. We must believe that the Lord will work through these means to accomplish his saving purposes because the Lord has made the church the mother. Who gives birth to his spiritual children. So the church, first, is our mother who gives us new life. Secondly, the church is our mother who nourishes us. In verse 10, the Lord calls his people to rejoice. He says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her and joy all you who mourn over her. So the Lord is pointing his people. In Isaiah's day, he's pointing them to the glorious future that awaits them as the people of God. And he is telling them that they must rejoice in this future that he has for his people. But for the present, for those who lived in Isaiah's time, those who loved Jerusalem, they were not rejoicing, but they were mourning. They were mourning over what they saw among the people of God. They mourned over the sin, the idolatry, the unfaithfulness of God's covenant people, they mourned over the spiritual lifelessness and powerlessness of Zion, of Jerusalem. And as Christians today who are part of the church, there are many reasons why we also mourn the condition of the church. We mourn the worldliness and the compromise that has infected so much of the church. We mourn the false teaching that captures so many hearts and souls and leads them away from Christ. We mourn the divisions and the conflict that are created in the church so often because of our own pride and our own sin. But despite all of that, we can rejoice because one day the Lord is promising the church will be all that she is supposed to be, and that is, she will be the holy and unblemished and faithful bride. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And despite all the discouraging appearances to the contrary, this is what the Lord is doing now in his people. This is what Jesus is doing for us now and in us. He is at work in us to sanctify us, to beautify us, to prepare us, to make us that bride that one day will be presented to himself without blemish, holy, spotless, ready to meet her Savior. And even now, even as we mourn all that is wrong with the church, we can rejoice because one day we will see what Christ is making us to be, and it will be beautiful. But even now we can rejoice in the fact that despite all her shortcomings, the church is still our nursing mother. Look what Isaiah says in verse 11. He says, "...that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. And so what the Lord is saying here is that just as a mother is the one who gives birth to her child, in the sense, who gives life to her child, so it is the mother who nourishes and feeds that child so that he grows healthy and strong and full of life. And the picture that Isaiah gives us here is of a mother's whose breasts are so full of milk that the baby is comforted he is satisfied he is delighted with the provision of his mother now i don't mean to be too graphic here but if you look at the very last words of verse 11 it's very likely that those words are referring to a mother's breast that is filled with milk Uh, the word that's translated abundance can also be translated as breast If you're reading the ESV, the English Standard Version, you'll see the footnote there, that that word can also be breast. And if that's the case, uh, the word that's translated as glorious should probably be rendered as heavy, uh, because in Hebrew, the word for glory or glorious is the same word for heavy. And so the idea here is that uh, this is a breast that is heavy with milk, that is nourishing nourishing and feeding the child. Uh, One translation uh, translates it this way, Uh, You will feed with joy from her milk-filled breasts. And the point is this the point of that is that as Christians, the place where we are spiritually fed, the place where we are nourished with a wonderful, abundant provision of, of of that which fills our souls, the place where that takes where that happens is the church. The church is our nursing mother. Now, to be very clear, we need to say that it is Jesus ultimately who is the one who is the inexhaustible source of life for every Christian. Uh, Every every blessing, forgiveness, peace, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, all of these ultimately come from Jesus. He is the source of our life as Christians. We're definitely not saying here that the institutional church in itself is somehow the source of our salvation, but in God's purposes of redemption, the savior Jesus who is the source of our life and salvation, he comes to us in his word and his word comes to us in the context of the church, through the ministry of the church. And so it is through the preaching of the word, through the ministry of the church, through the fellowship of God's people, the communion of saints, it is through these means that God nourishes our souls and he feeds us with Christ and his word. And the church in which we are nourished by Christ and his word is the congregation of flesh and blood brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no substitute for worshiping and and fellowshipping and being part of a local congregation of God's people. Now, We live in a technological age, and there are many wonderful resources, an abundance of resources available to us to help us as Christians. And by all means, I say, take advantage of all of them. Read the best Christian books. Listen to the best Christian preachers online. Uh, Be edified by the best Christian podcasts. All of these are valuable resources, but they are not a substitute for the church. The teaching of the Bible, really the assumption that the Bible makes is this, is that the church is the place where Christians are communing with, living with, fellowshipping with, worshipping together with, real life, flesh and blood, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the church. It is not some abstract concept to which we uh, agree is good, but it is that very real, local, flesh and blood place we brothers and sisters in Christ, live together, serve together, worship together. And despite all the faults and the problems with the church, it is still the place where God promises to nourish, to sustain us, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so let the church be your nursing mother. And the Lord promises that when you do, you will drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. So the church as our mother nourishes us. Thirdly, the church as our mother comforts us. In verse 12, the Lord promises to extend peace like a river to his people. And after that, he promises to flood Israel with all of the blessings that he gives to the nations. But then after that, he describes again Jerusalem. He returns to this metaphor of Jerusalem as the mother of God's people. Verse 12, he says, And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced on her knees. What a beautiful picture this is of the affection, the tenderness, the care, uh, the delight that a mother has in her child. She bounces her baby on her knees. Uh, The the King James Version, she dandles the baby on her knees. It's a picture of love, of delight tender care in the child. And this maternal love becomes the source of soothing comfort when the child is hurt or saddened or grieved. In verse 13, uh, the Lord says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Now notice that God says it is himself It is God who is the source of comfort for his people. Yet remarkably, God compares his comfort for his people to the comforts that a mother can give to her child. You know, here's one of the rare places in scripture in which the Lord likens himself in a sense to a mother. It's as though there's no other way for God to adequately communicate, to express in his word to us the depth, the power of his comfort than to say, it is like the comfort that a mother, that only a mother can give to her child. If you're a dad, uh, you know that your kids learn or, or have learned uh, at a very early age, uh, the one that they go to for comfort. And it's not you, uh, but it's mom. Uh, when our kids were younger and One of them fell over and and got a scrape or hurt themselves in some way. Even if I was in the very same room, that child would go running into mommy's arms uh, because uh, he or she knew that's where she would find comfort. Uh, They knew that if they came to me, I would probably tell them, it's all right, it'll stop hurting in a minute, just rub some dirt in it and you'll be fine. But if they go to mom, she embraces them in her arms. She wipes away their tears. She showers her with sympathy, compassion. I'm so sorry you are hurt. No one can comfort a crying child like a mother can. And the Lord is saying to you and me in this passage, you are my child. You are my child and when you are brought to tears because of your grief, because of your pain, because of sorrow, because of discouragement. When you were brought low and brought to tears because of the pain, the difficulties of this life, the Lord says, come to me and I will comfort you. I will give you the comfort, all the comfort that a mother gives to her child and I will give you so much more. And God gives us comfort with his word and truth. In his gospel, he tells us that despite your sin, despite your failure, despite all of that, that he loves you. He loves you. He has shown his love for you in giving you his son, Jesus Christ. And no matter how you fail him and disappoint him, nevertheless, because of Christ, he is there He's a loving father. He assures us that in all things that are sad and painful, he is working out his loving, gracious, holy, wise purposes for us. God tells us, don't worry, it's going to be all right. And we know that because it is God who tells us this, that this is no empty promise or wishful thinking, but that as a Christian, as one who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the hope and the promise that you have, that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, everything will be all right. All will be well with you. God is working out working his purposes out through all things for your good. And you receive this comfort of God in the church. Again, the church. This is where God speaks to his people. This is where you hear the words of comfort from from the scriptures. And not only that, but in the church, if I can use the language of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, you receive God's comforts, From others, from brothers and sisters in Christ who are able to comfort you with the comfort which with they themselves have been comforted by God. And in those ways, the church as our mother comforts us. The Lord says in verse 13, you shall be comforted in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. As we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, we were reminded by the sacraments, by the elements here, that most fundamentally the church is the people whom Jesus loves. The church is the people whom Jesus so loved that he laid down his life. He offered himself as a sacrifice to take away our sins and to give us his everlasting life. And the church is the people among whom now The resurrected, the glorified Lord Jesus, he dwells. He dwells among us. He is found in the church. And so for that reason, for you to commit yourself to growing in your devotion to the church, this is really for you to commit yourself to growing in your devotion to Christ. Because this is where you find him in the life and fellowship and in the ministry of his people. Would you have Jesus as your savior? Would you have God as your father? Then have the church as your mother. Let's pray.